remember the point in time, but growing up as a believer and growing up in a believing home and around ministry and growing up in a lot of different expressions of the church, the word intercession when I was younger to me meant like you had to be 65 and over, have gray hair, preferably wrapped up into a bun, and then you could be part of the intercessory team. And, uh, and at some point, I began to recognize that this wasn't just a small group of people or a certain age group, but it was part of our call for all of us to live from the spirit of prayer and to release the power of heaven's desire on earth like it is in heaven. And uh, in those moments, man, I could proudly say I'm an intercessor. These moments, you could say, Lord, I, I am an intercessor. I, I, I've been called to intercession and to effect change through prayer and through the authority of prayer to bring about the heart of God to bear upon the earth, to see families change, to see lives change, to see cities change, to see regions change. Amen? You guys are intercessors. And it was happening. And Father, we thank you for every prayer, every cry, every groaning of the Spirit, every desire that you breathed upon in our hearts tonight, Lord, as we offered it before you. Father, we ask that those prayers would be guided by you and hit the mark. And hit the bullseye and accomplish everything that you have for them. Thank you, Lord. Continue to teach us to pray and to partner with you in prayer. Thank you, Abba. Well, you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. We'll start from verse 25 as our text. John 11, verse 25. Yeshua said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that your word is alive, and it's powerful, and it affects change. It transforms the human heart. And so, Father, let your word penetrate our hearts tonight and affect change as we come into alignment with what you say. Yeshua said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he said to her, do you believe this? The context of this, these words of Yeshua, was he was speaking to one of his dearest friends at a time of great need. And in this passage, we're going to look at John chapter 11. And it's the story 
Now, the little heading above chapter 11 in my Bible says, the death of Lazarus. Now, I don't know if that's like just to build up anticipation, you know, and so like you don't get right to the point yet. But like my takeaway is not the death of Lazarus. My takeaway from reading John chapter 11, he's alive. He was dead and he's alive. The resurrection of Lazarus. <clears throat> I am the resurrection and the life, said Yeshua. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. We are postured at an intersection. And I love to look for the intersections of God. I love to discover the intersections of God. And, and often it's within these two dimensions. One is of time and the other is of geography, is of place. And when there's an intersection between the time of God and places and geography, and when they come together, there's an opportunity for us to lay a hold of something more. Our year one students, each year, thank you, each year go and they, they study the Sermon on the Mount and memorize it, and meditate on it, and recite it, and repeat it, and turn it inside out, and look at it from different directions. But something happens when you get a deposit of God's word inside of you, but then time and place intersect, and you get up on that piece of geography where Yeshua spoke those words, and that you're the timing of God for you because he ordained you at that time to be in that place. And when those things come together, revelation. And we're at a similar time frame in the, in the calendar year of the feasts. In the calendar year, both of the feasts of the Lord that are described in the first covenant. We just celebrated Erev Passover last night, uh, the, the, the beginning of uh, Passover. But we're also at other feast times within the historical church calendar. So as Remy was leading us beautifully last night, he was making the correlation between Good Friday and Pesach, according to the Western calendar. But today, for the Eastern, for the Orthodox calendar, who knows what day it is, what feast day it is today. <laughs> today is Saint, the feast of St. Lazarus. Now, we have time, but also we're here at Fotiastovuno, gathered together, fire on the mountain to intercede for Cyprus on this piece of geography, on this land. And why is Lazarus particularly significant to us is that the testimony of the early church was that after the story we're about to go through, he had 30 more years of his life after Yeshua raised his friend from the dead. And then there was a persecution that came to Jerusalem, and many of the disciples had to flee Judea, and they went out 
after the death of Stephen. And Lazarus came across the water. In fact, the scriptures tell us that they went up the coastline, Caesarea, Antioch, and Cyprus. And Lazarus, he came to Cyprus in what's modern-day Larnaca, but at that time would be the city kingdom of Kition, and arrived there in Kition. And Lazarus spent 30 years giving witness, but in between the time of his resurrection and when he had to flee Jerusalem, he was the talk of the town. This miracle that took place where Yeshua raised his friend after four days in the tomb was turning Jerusalem upside down. It was creating controversy. People were coming not only to hear the words of Jesus, but they were coming to see with their physical eyes this man that was dead. And so much so for after four days that his body was decomposing, that he was wrapped up in linens and grave cloth, and that there was a stench that filled that cave that he was buried in. And yet, when Yeshua called him forth, he rose up. And walked out of the tomb. And Yeshua said right before it, I am the resurrection and the life. So Lazarus came here, and according to church tradition, when Barnabas and Saul arrived, sent out from Antioch, came to Salamis that they installed Lazarus as the leader of the church there in Kition, the first bishop in Cyprus. And for 30 years, he gave witness to the resurrection. There's an intersection on this feast day, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, not just of the story of a man who Yeshua raised from the dead, but what that story pointed to, because Lazarus was raised but 30 years later, he died. Yeshua was raised, and he is still risen. So we could say Lazarus was raised from the dead, but Yeshua is risen from the dead. It hasn't changed. He is still risen from the dead. Hallelujah. And there is the power of life and eternal life for us to lay a hold of today for ourselves, for our families, but also for the wider sphere of our influence. If you have ears to hear and eyes to see, let the word of God become alive in your heart today, this evening. Thank you, Lord. In this story of the resurrection of Lazarus, it shows, it's a very much a pinnacle point in the Gospel of John. It doesn't tell the story in the other Gospels, but John singles it out. And it's really, although it's halfway through the book of John, it is the culmination, it's the pinnacle of Yeshua's ministry as he comes in the rest of the book has to do with the time of the preparation of Yeshua's death, his burial, his resurrection, and then being with his disciples until he ascends to heaven. And so it's, it's a high point in the Gospel of John. Now let's read through this as quickly as we can. John chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary that, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. 
Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Yeshua heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God and the Son of God, and that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Right away, Yeshua is giving a clue. Although if you read the story, you say, well, he did die, but that's not the end of the story. And he's giving a clue that even his resurrection isn't the end of the story. But it's so that the Son of God may be glorified. When Yeshua says later on in this text that we read uh, just a few moments ago, I am the resurrection and the life. He was speaking of something because when Yeshua was resurrected, he was also glorified. When Lazarus was resurrected, it was pointing the way. It was a signpost to what was about to happen. Here we stand at this week, the week before, on the Eastern calendar to the, to the, to the Passion. We stand the week before, the Holy Week, and we have the story of Lazarus in the, in the uh, feast cycle of the year in the Orthodox Church. And it's a pointer to something that's about to happen in the story. There's a man who dies and is dead for four days and then he's risen up, but he's not glorified. But Yeshua says, so that the Son may be glorified, I am the resurrection and the life. It's pointing in the direction of the, res of the, pointing in the, direction of the resurrection power of Yeshua. Sorry, my voice has uh, been struggling the last week or so, and so I try not to get too excited. And if I'm talking really deeply, just go with it because normally I have a very high voice and uh, I'm kind of enjoying it. So that the Son of, of God may be glorified through it. Now Yeshua loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I want you to hear the humanity in this story. There's something set apart in the way that John writes and recounts of the friendship that Yeshua had. Yeshua didn't, he had disciples, he had followers, he had crowds of people, but he had a whole lot of people that were after his life, that misunderstood him. But there's a constant that he has through his ministry of these two sisters and a brother that are friends to him. Bethany represents that little village two miles outside of Jerusalem represents a safe place for Yeshua. It represents a place where I know that I'm going to be with my friends. Yeshua, he knew that he was going in obedience to the Father to great pain and suffering at the cross. And where is the last place that he spends time before he goes to the pain and the suffering of the cross? Bethany. He goes to be with his friends. And so when it says, it's just not a side note that it says that he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Some people really like Mary because she chose the better part. But in this passage, it's more about Martha here. They're all his friends. His friend Lazarus, his friend Mary, his friend Martha. And there's something of his humanity that's expressed in this. The revelation of the humanity of the Son of God serves to highlight 
his divinity when he makes the I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life. The power of Yeshua and what he did is he was fully man. That he understood, that he felt, that he went through everything that we go through. And yet, he stands and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one. Who was dead but lives again. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Okay, great friend. Send word to our friend Yeshua that Lazarus is sick. And he says, this isn't a sickness unto death. Already it seems like he's making light of this affliction. Hey, we wouldn't have sent him. We wouldn't have sent a messenger all the way up to you to tell, just because he had a head cold. It was serious. If there's anybody we need right now, we need our friend Yeshua here because we know what he can do. He says, it's not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. So when he stays two more days, it's not because he didn't love. It's just the verse before said he loved them. It's because he's creating a scenario for God to get the glory and point to a bigger picture of the glory that will be revealed when the son himself dies, is resurrected, and is glorified. So he stays two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, hey, let's go to Judea again. Love it. Sounds kind of random, right? Hey, I have an idea. Let's go to Judea. Well, yeah, we were kind of wondering. Remember your friends? Your friend Lazarus, he's on death's door. The disciple said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? I'm wondering if it was their life or his life they were concerned about. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. And he goes on to say some very mysterious, powerful things. Then he, these things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Yeshua spoke of his death, and they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest, taking rest in sleep. Then Yeshua said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You really got to stay right with Yeshua. Don't worry. This is not leading to death. He says, he's asleep. And I got to wake him up. And they go, oh, great. He's getting rest, so he's going to get better. No, he's dead. Okay. You know, can you imagine being a disciple? You constantly be like, uh, I'm either missing something here or I'm not the smartest guy. And everyone's like, we're so glad Peter's here because he's just putting his foot in his mouth. He's always out there in the front with his wise responses. And I'll just hang back and watch what Peter says and then say the opposite after that. So Yeshua plainly said to them, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Who does Yeshua need to, be to believe more than anyone else about his own resurrection? And that he has the power over death. His disciples. 
They're going to be the carriers of his glory. They're going to be the eyewitnesses to his majesty. They're his eyewitnesses to his resurrection. They're the ones who will take the news of the resurrection power that the Son of God came and lived as a man, died, but was rose again after three days. He said, it's good for you so that you may believe. Then Thomas, speaking of believing, who is called the twin or doubting Thomas, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Now, this is a very Jewish way of thinking. <laughs> ah, we might as well go and die with him. They're trying to kill him. We're his disciples. Yeah. He's got kind of like that Eeyore, you know, from Winnie the Pooh. Eeyore attitude. Oh, well. Might as well go with him. That we may die with him. So when Yeshua came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Okay, something here about the four days is that where medicine was in that time period in the first century, there wasn't this, we, they didn't have all the uh, tests and the ability to, to check all the vital signs in the same ways. They basically had the mirror that the New York Police Department has that puts in front of the mouth. If it fogs up, then they're still breathing. You haven't watched enough cop shows. Okay, never mind. But, but that's, all, that's all they had. You know, is there a heartbeat? Is there something going on there? And there were different accounts that people would, would be seemingly be sick and they're about to die. And, or, or, or they have thought to be dead, and then they come out of a coma, and, and it's like, oh, they were dead, but now they're alive. But there were no recorded accounts after three days of being dead because the body actually starts to decompose, and that's what is highlighted later on. So the fact that he's already dead for four days, Yeshua is thinking, perfect. This is going to be for the glory of the Father. This is so that the disciples might believe, and they're thinking, What's going to happen? Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around, Mary, around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Culturally speaking, you have to understand that this whole idea of mourning and of grief had a, a, a very elaborate um, culture and tradition around it. And so not only did you have family members that would mourn the death of a loved one and they would come and they would sit uh, together with the family for a period of seven days where you could have grief and comfort the family during that time, usually sitting upon the floor or on a low stool in that way. But there was also, remember when the prophets cry out and say, bring out, call for the mourning women, call for the wailing women. That there was also within the culture, in order to make it to get the grief out, there was people professionally who were hired to come along and weep and wail. Now, in some cultures to this day, that still happens. In Ethiopia, it still happens. I've been, I've been with my friends going to sit with people dur during the period of grief and of mourning and where there's wailing women that aren't related to any of the people that are hired to keep the tears flowing and to keep the mourning going. It's actually probably a pretty healthy expression because you actually deal with grief and you process it and you spend time. You don't isolate yourselves, but you come together 
as a family unit and as friends, and you process those things. And so here are all these people. Some of them would be genuine, and some of them would be like those wailing women come to help to keep it going. (laughs) Now I sound like my grandma, who was Italian and Jewish. Very professional mourners. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Yeshua was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Sitting in the house, probably. She was sitting there mourning at that time. Now Martha said to Yeshua, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. You have to understand something here. From a Middle Eastern context, when you have a request... You don't go directly. In the Near East, you don't just say it directly. In the United States, if we have something on our mind, we say it very directly. Can you raise my brother from the dead? She comes and says, if you were here. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. An indirect question, you say, Surely something can happen. She was a friend of Yeshua. She had walked with him. She had heard the stories. She had been in intimate fellowship together with him. Yeshua said to her, your brother will rise again. Now Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, there was a theology in Judaism. There was an understanding of a resurrection of the dead. In fact, it's what separated the two largest groups uh, within the religious framework of first century Judaism. One, you had the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection, and then you had the Sadducees who who did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. No hope after life. In Daniel chapter 12, in verse 2, Or start from one. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so she's saying, yes, I believe at the end of the age that they'll be rising again. Still, she's playing playing at her request and coming indirectly about it. Are you talking about the final resurrection of the dead? And Yeshua speaks now, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God who has come into the world. And here we have something in the story of both the humanity of Yeshua, who as a friend of this family, mixing now with the divinity of Yeshua as she declares Him the Son of God who has come from heaven into the world. 
And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. There's anticipation building in her heart. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Yeshua had not yet come into town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house, they were sitting Shiva, they were in the time of mourning and comforting her. When they saw that Mary rose quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Yeshua was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same thing. There's a request now coming from Mary. And it's not the direct way. It's the indirect way. Martha said the same thing, but she said, I believe that you're the son of the living God. Then when Mary said she fell down, therefore, when, verse 33, when Yeshua saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Folks, do you think Yeshua was troubled because he was trying to work up his faith? I don't know if I can do this one. He wasn't groaning. Uh, his knees weren't knocking, but not being aware of the power that he had. Being fully man, being a friend of this family and seeing the anguish of their hearts. He knew that the Lord was, that the Father was going to glorify the Son through the situation. And he knew that it was pointing to his own glorification that would come. But his heart went out to his friends when he saw them mourning at their loss. His heart went out to them. And he connected in compassion. It was like the bowels of compassion were being stirred in within him. And, that he, and, it's, and it says that he groaned in the spirit. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Yeshua wept. We see the humanity of Yeshua, his compassion. We see his emotion in this place. And it wasn't an emotion that, was, that there was no hope. It was an emotion at the brokenness of the people who thought all that was lost. It was the emotion to say, man, my friend here was sick and their grave got him. And all these people are broken and mourning. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. His humanity is being displayed. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Yeshua, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone, stone lay against it. Yeshua said, take away the stone. You see, often these tombs would be cut into the limestone rock. And it would have a place inside where there would be hauled out where the body would be prepared for burial. Would put with spices because of the smell. And it would be wrapped in grave cloths and they would put down. And then they would leave the body for one year to decompose till it was just bones. And they would take the bones and gather them and put them in a nook farther in the cave. And that would be like a family tomb there. And so they had to have ability to open and close. So they'd often have like a spherical rock on a little channel. And they would pull it, be able to roll it back, seal it so animals and others, robbers, wouldn't be able to get in. And so he says, roll back the stone. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. It's already said it's been, he's been dead four days. In fact, in the Orthodox Church, that's one of the titles for Lazarus. Four days dead Lazarus. 
And the point here is to say that this wasn't just a coma. This wasn't just a uh, medical anomaly, but this was a verified death. He was dead for four days. There's a stench from his body decomposing, and Martha's making this point here. It is setting up for the miracle that is about to take place. This is the week before. We're celebrating today the resurrection of Lazarus, which is pointing to a greater resurrection that's celebrated next week here all over the island and throughout the Orthodox world. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Yeshua lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So Yeshua there, he lifts up his eyes to the Father. And he begins to speak to the Father out loud, vocally, so that they can make the connection before the miracle is to take place. That they begin to see he is the Son of God. He is the Son of the Eternal One. He is the Son of the Ancient of Days. And He makes His connection with the Father. He didn't have to do that. But it was for the people that were gathered. He could have just spoken already right there. Lazarus, come forth. But He, he enters into communion with the Father and He speaks out loud so that the people can hear and see that He's sent by the Father. Now when He said these things, He cried out with a loud voice. Do you think Yeshua had to use a loud voice? Was it the decibels of his voice that affected the change? No. But he was calling his friend forth. He was calling his friend. There was emotion connected. He was, his humanity was there even as his divinity was being revealed in front of the people by the Father in heaven. His humanity was there at the same time and with emotion. The same uh, face that had wept tears and seeing the brokenness and the grief of the people. And now with a loud voice, he cries out to his friend. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Yeshua said, loose him and let him go. Take off the grave clothes. Take off the strips of linen that are wrapped around him. Take off the shroud that would be over his face. Take loose him from those bindings. Now, what's amazing is he was bound up like this in all these wrappings, and yet when he was raised, he was able to stand to his feet and come out of the grave, but he still needed to be loosened. And I think if you, if, if you, if you will, just imagine with me for a moment. You see, in the tradition of the day, it was often the job of the women because they could prepare for burial, both men and women. The men could only be involved in men. And so we have the two sisters there. And I imagine because of their relationship that they had been the ones that had prepared his body to go into the tomb. And that they had put the spices 
on him and that they had prepared him to go in and they, they had wrapped him up. And those same sisters who loved their brother Lazarus so much, now at the sound of the voice of the master, when he called Lazarus forth from death and into life and he stood as a miracle, he said, loose him from his grave clothes, that they would have been standing there with Yeshua and they would have been the ones that had unwrapped. And as each time they're unwrapping, they're remembering how the, you know, their brother was dead and that they had prepared him for burial. His brother was bound up by them and by their own hands. They'd seen it with their own eyes. And now, because of the voice of the master, resurrection life had come to their brother. And they were called, and each unwrapping, they were remembering. And it was being written upon their hearts so that they could be witnesses to the resurrection, not only of their brother, but the witnesses to the resurrection of the master when his time comes. Loose him and let him go. And it goes on from here in this story that as it began to spread that there was an uproar and that the priests began to plot because of the story that went on. Verse 45, then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Yeshua did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Yeshua did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do for this man works many signs? And they went on, they debated back and forth, what are we going to do? And it was from that moment on that they decided in their hearts that they would plot to kill him. And it wasn't only Yeshua that they plotted to kill. In the next chapter, in, in chapter 12, in verse 9, it says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and that they came, not for Yeshua's sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he, Yeshua, had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on the count of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Yeshua. You see, even as Lazarus was a sign pointing to what would come with Yeshua's resurrection, in, his, in, 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 in the same way, his testimony was turning the hearts of many towards Yeshua. And it wasn't just in the days in between his own resurrection and the death and resurrection of Yeshua. But for the next 30 years, the story of Lazarus went out from Jerusalem and Judea. And he ended up here on this island. And tonight at the Feast of St. Lazarus, we remember this, the first church leader here in Cyprus that was appointed by Barnabas and Saul according to early church tradition. That he carried the testimony of resurrection life. They didn't point only because after 30 years, he died. And so there was a crypt that was found in Larnaca, and an inscription under it, here lies Lazarus, the four-day dead, Lazarus, the friend of the master who died for the second time. Let me just draw a little interesting thing with this testimony of Lazarus. Lazarus is the Latinized form of the Hebrew name Eleazar. Who was Eleazar? The son of Aaron, who continued the high priestly line from Aaron, the first of the high priests. Eleazar. Who is it that's gathering to plot against Yeshua? in the first century, and to plot against Eleazar. 
chief priests and the Pharisees. You see, this religious spirit, this political spirit had risen up. And in fact, they say in the passage, of, we're not going to read through it now, but they say, but we might lose our position amongst the people. That's the political spirit. Yeshua called it the leaven of Herod or of the Herodians. He talked about beware, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and watch out for the leaven of Herod. We're here during the Feast of Unleavened Bread right now. And in, in, in the context of this story, he's saying don't just think about the, the, the bread that you're setting aside. But think about the leaven of the political spirit. Think about the leaven of the religious spirit that tries to, to push down the miracle working power of God. That tries to divert the tension away from the Son of God. And Lazarus, he, did, he wasn't killed, he wasn't taken out. But his, he continued to testify and his ministry went on. And it points the way towards the story of the passion of Yeshua, of his death, his resurrection. And here we are, this week, in this time of Passover, where Passover, Holy Week, Pascha, Resurrection Sunday, all these things are coming together, converging at this time. And we're at an intersection of time, amazingly so, of both the Hebraic calendar and the historic church calendar in place here on the Feast of St. Lazarus, here during Passover and Unleavened Bread on the island of Cyprus. Now, as I understand it, the word for Larnaca has something to do with the terracotta tombs that were surrounding ancient Kition. Something to do with tombs. Isn't it amazing that the name that's associated with tombs is the place where Lazarus spent the last 30 years of his resurrected or resuscitated life giving witness to the power of the Son of God was fully God, but was also his intimate friend. Those of you from Larnaca, may you go forth, not in the spirit of death, but the sign of the tomb that speaks of the resurrection power of the Son of God. And may you be marked with the resurrection power of the Son of God. Now, I want to leave you with this. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, the spirit of control, the spirit of legalism. Watch out for the spirit of Herod, of the political positioning for one's personal gain. But rather, let us be like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus the friends of Yeshua, and through our relationship him, with him, that our lives point to his resurrection power. Lazarus was risen. Yeshua 
is risen. As we prepare to make that proclamation next week, Christos Anesti, let's go with the testimony that we, like Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, are pointing to a greater resurrection of the glorified and risen Savior, Yeshua. And that power lives within you. The Lord bless you all tonight.